0: Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. What's up, everybody? How's everyone doing today? All good? Man, as Brian said, my name is Justin. I'm the next-gen pastor here. Oh, it just means I like to get, get, like to get my hair down every once in a while, have some fun. Y'all already have some fun today in church? Some of you are like, I'm not sure if I should clap for that or not. It's okay. There's bitterness in your heart because the Lord took it away. That's fine. We'll talk to you later. Man, we have uh, incredible things happening in our gathering. We started a, a campaign back in January, which is hard to believe January was just like, like five or six weeks ago. Some of us have had a full year already. We're ready for next year, and it's just been like a month and a half. Uh, but we started this campaign called For the One in our gathering where we are really focused on as we continue to grow, as we get bigger, we're really focusing on the one person. We're really focused on the one person you know, it's your neighbor, it's your coworker. For some of you, it's a child or a sibling or a parent where you are passionate about reaching them. You would love for them to come and hear a message of Jesus. You'd love to hear, for them to come and hear a message of hope and reconciliation. And as we grow, we're not just about filling rooms with people. Because honestly, that's cheap and that's not going to last. That's not going to make any, any big difference. What we're all about is we're all about that one person. That one person coming that you know, that I know, that even last week we had 15 people turn to trust Jesus, which is something we always want to celebrate in the house, like those are somebody's one. Like those are people that God has designed with his image, with his value placed on them, and we want to be passionate about reaching the people that God is passionate about reaching. And again, it's it's one person. And for some of you, like, you're here, maybe you're brand new here, maybe you're investigating in faith. Like, we're not trying to uh, objectify anyone and say it's just the one, but, like, like, legitimately, like, it's relationships with people. This is where it's emotional for us. Like, if you're here and you've been a part of our gathering for any period of time, you know, like, this is something that's deeply emotional for us because we know people. This isn't just an idea that we talk about, and because of that, Easter weekend, we're going to launch our North Campus, literally right around the corner over here on St. Cloud, and we are going to have an incredible uh, ministry impact where almost instantly we're able to double or over double our capacity for a service. Now again, that's not all that exciting if it's just about filling rooms with people and having kids over there, kids over there, but really it's about making more opportunity to reach one person. That's why we do things like ask you to come to the front and slide in so you can leave a seat at the end of the row for people. That's why everything we do, we're going to be geared and focused on doing it for the one. And that's why Easter weekend, we're launching our North Campus. There you go. Someone's excited about that. Someone's excited about that. But, but here's the deal. As you've been hearing about this you know about this, we're, we're launching our campus. We also are, are building our team. And in, in case you're not good at math, uh, 41 is smaller than 140, just so you know. Uh, but what we're doing is we're building our team. And this is something we can celebrate. Last week, we had 10 people join our launch team. Which is awesome because people are stepping and saying, I have decided I'm going to do something with my faith. I want to begin to act out in my faith and make a difference. And we have still a great opportunity in the area of our children's ministry. We still have about 45 people that we need to join our kids team. Uh, that'd be this campus and the campus over there. And let me tell you the reason why we need these, so many people is because we have a lot of kids but also because we want to have small groups of kids connecting with adults and students to hear about Jesus. We don't want to have like a spray and pray mentality of get 35, 40 kids in a room and we're just gonna do a big thing for all of them. We want to have emotional connection and capital relationship with the children in our church so that I can sit down with the same six to eight kids every time I serve and begin to know who they are and they know who I am and I trust them and they trust me and I also get to begin to know the parents and the parents begin to know me and I trust them and they trust me and we can see. God do incredible things in our kids' ministry. Last week, we had a kid uh, during our large group time, which if you're like intimidated by children's ministry, let me break it down for you real quick. You'd serve one service every other week. If you can follow one-page instructions and you can keep kids quiet during a video lesson, you can do it. Like, it is literally that easy. We want to make it really simple for you so that way you can really focus on building relationships with children. But last week, uh, one of the kids in our children's ministry uh, leans over to their small group leader during the lesson video and says, you know, my mom loves me, but God loves me more. Now, that's like not a dig on the mom. That's just recognizing like, man, my mom loves me like something fierce, but Jesus loves me even more. Like, imagine for a second, like, how much would you love to be that small group leader in that moment? Like, this kid gets it. You can be that small group leader. You can come and you can be part of what we're doing in our gathering. It was our children's ministry, again, we're still looking for about 45 people. We are so excited. Even today, I brought a, a lady over to our kids' ministry just to check it out. Like, you don't have to, like, sign up forever and ever. You can go where you can check it out. You can talk with us. Also, if you signed up, we've reached out to you, so definitely get back with us. Because God is doing something special in CC Kids. We'd love for you to be a part of it. But also, here's the deal. With any area with, with Centerpoint, anytime we're having people step in to serve, i want gonna focus on two things: that it's gift-based and passion-driven. Okay, so if you're gifted to build relationships with children, if you're, and you don't have to be like the world's greatest teacher. Can you build relationships with kids? If you're gifted in that area and you're passionate about it, that's where we want you. If you're not gifted and passionate about that, we got somewhere else for you. Like, we're not about shoving round pegs into square holes or square head pegs into round holes, whichever way it goes. Like, we're not just shoving people in spots. Like, we really sincerely want you to be passionate and gifted about what you're doing. That's why we have such an incredible worship team. We got a good worship team, right? Like, it's good. They lead us in an incredible way. Why do, they lead? why do they give up their Thursday night every week to come and practice for hours and get here earlier, probably more than any of you even woke up today, to be ready to lead us in worship? Because they're gifted and they're passionate about it. Now, I might be passionate about it, but I'm not gifted. So you don't want me up here singing. But in the same way you wouldn't want me up here singing, like figure out the place you're gifted and passionate about and go use that and make a huge difference. Literally, like, there's a card right in your seat right in front of you. Fill it out. Begin to make a difference. And I promise you this. This is, I'm totally confident of this, is as you begin engaging and serving in an area that you're gifted and passionate about, your life will be better. You'll probably get a big check in the mail. You'll get the car you want. I'm just kidding about that stuff. It's not better in that way. Some of you were like, "Wait a second! I didn't think it was a blabbing grab it church." Like, I'm not sure about that. Here's the: it's not you're gonna get all the stuff, but there'll be something in you that will be better. Something in you that even says, like, when I begin serving, we have this dude serving our kids' ministry team. He's serving right now. His name's Lenny. He's over there, and he does the check-in team. And then last week or a few weeks ago, he had to help out in one of the preschool rooms. And he goes in the preschool room and goes, yo, I love it in here. I don't want to have to go back out to check-in. And he didn't even know he was passionate about that. So for some of you, just start somewhere. Start the conversation with us, because we'd love to help you connect, because your life will be better. Your faith will grow as you step in and serve. And for some of us, too, let's be honest, you got to get a little uncomfortable with it. And that's why next week, Brian is going to talk about being uncomfortable uh, to help all of us really uh, take a step. Because a lot of times, when I stay comfortable, I don't grow. Right? Like yesterday, I went for a run, and I hated it, and it was horrible. But I felt much better when I was done with my run. Like, we don't want serving to be like that. We want to get you uncomfortable. We want you to start doing something. But before we even talk about being uncomfortable, we really got to talk about... This, this topic of devotion, of what are you devoted to? Because what I'm devoted to will dictate what I do with my comfort level, right? For some of us, we're devoted to comfort, so we don't want to do anything outside of that comfort. For some of us, we hear the word devoted, and if you're like me, I think about uh, like church life, like, my devotions, like, I grew up in, like, you got to read your Bible, you get your journal out there, you're praying, and devoted devotions can seem like a church world, but let's be honest, if we take devoted, we look at it, like, we're all devoted to all sorts of things. Like, you think about the word devoted, think about committed, loyal, like, focused on something, even enthusiastic about something, we're all devoted to things. You can be devoted to your career. You can be devoted to your sports teams. You can be devoted to your family. But we get devoted about some real big things, but also we can be devoted about some really small, funny things, right? Like for some of us, like we're devoted to our image. And for me, even if I'm being real honest with you, okay, and if this is you too, you can make some noise that way. No, I'm not alone. Like I bought a couple months ago, I bought these white shoes. These like all white sneakers. And tell you what, brother, I am devoted to those things. Devoted to keeping those clean, Right, so much so, and again, either I'm gonna be really honest or really vain right now, okay? So, some of you out here, you're like that, so you can clap your hands or shout out when I'm feeling a little bit too vain and help me know I'm not alone here. But I got these shoes, and I didn't even spend a bunch of money on them, but I will treat my day differently if I'm wearing my white shoes. Like, no joke, if it's gonna rain, I'm not wearing those shoes. Right, y'all would say amen if that's you. Right, if if even my day, my work day, like I work here in the office. If I'm gonna work in the office and I'm gonna be doing stuff on my computer all day, like that's a good white shoe day. If I gotta be running around all over the place, I ain't wearing those shoes because again, I didn't. They're not $300 shoes. They're just all white. I don't want creases in them. I love my kids. I got my three-year-old daughter Lucy. She's sweet. She's clumsy as all get out. She fell, broke her ankle a couple weeks ago. Which is okay for all. If you know Lucy, like she doesn't need another thing for people to dote over her. Over, okay. She's super sweet. She's getting healed. It's good. But she will, uh, without the cast, with the cast, she will have times where she'll just step on my feet. Like I'm holding her hand, she just steps on my feet and like, girl, I love you. Get off my shoes. Like, daddy's gonna need to discipline you. Give you some consequences for stepping on daddy's shoes because that's devoted to this, right? And some of you, like you're right there with me. Some of you, it's not your shoes. Some of you, it's like that dress, those pants, that hat your car, your house. Some of you, your house is so nice that it makes people nervous when they come over. Like, can I touch anything? Can I not touch things? And then, like, you have kids like me, or you come over with kids like I have kids, and you say something like, oh, it's all child-proof. Like, Yeah, that's a lie right there, first of all. Everything looks expensive and like it's going to break, so our kids can't touch anything. For some of us, like we're all devoted to something. I remember my neighbor growing up, you'd see him at times out there with his scissors trimming the trees or trimming the the grass around the trees just to make sure the grass was so nice, had an awesome lawn. He was so devoted to that, every single one of us. The thing we got to learn, though, is the things that we're devoted to will shape our lives. Like good, bad, or indifferent, what you're devoted to is going to shape your life. And we can be devoted to really good things and we'll have some good consequences, some good results in our lives. We also can be devoted to the wrong things and have some, some pretty messed up consequences in our lives. For some of us, and this is, this is true, you've seen this in life. Even if you're like, dude, I don't, I don't know if I believe what you guys believe. I'm not sure if I really am going to agree with what you're talking about. That's totally fine. You're still welcome here. I'd love to connect with you after. Like, sincerely, would totally love to connect with you afterwards. But even if you're not a believer, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you see this is true because you've had people in your life that were devoted to the wrong things and they had a negative impact on you. Because the truth is, when I'm devoted to the right things, I treat people the right way. And when I'm devoted to the wrong things, I treat people the wrong way. Like some of you have been in a classroom environment, a work environment, some situation where there was an authority that instead of focusing on dealing with things in a right and fair way, they dealt with things based on favoritism. And they were more devoted to those relationships than what they should have been devoted to and focus on, hey, how can I be kind of unbiased party in this situation? Some of you, you had a, a family member that was devoted to their career more than they were devoted to family. And you go, man, like, oh, yeah, you're totally talking about that person or that person or that person. You can see in other people when they're devoted to wrong things, it can have a huge negative impact on your life. But the same is true of you. Same is true of me. When I'm devoted to the right things, it's much easier for me to treat people in a right way. But when I choose to step outside of how things are designed to operate, a lot of times it ends in hurt and pain and dysfunction. See, scriptures teach us Jesus himself said he came so that we could have life to the full. Like, God did not give us all these rules, all these regulations to take life and enjoyment away from us. He gave us them so we could have full life and full enjoyment. Because there's a lot of things that we've all done where you think it's going to be fulfilling and enjoyable, and it is for a moment, but then later you go, man, that didn't work out for me. And and simply to go, well, I want to do what feels right, what is good. Like devoting yourself just to your feelings and your own gauge of what feels right and what is good is going to leave you in a place of a lot of dysfunction and hurt and pain. Like I know this is true because I've seen it in my life, and you've seen it in your life too. No matter what you believe, you've experienced that. And you see people around you, when they act in a way that where they're devoted to the wrong things. when they step outside a way that God would have designed them to operate, there's just pain and hurt. This is where you see this all through Scripture, actually. You see story after story after story of people who were devoted to the right thing, and there was incredible blessings in life. There was good things happening because God has set us up in a sowing and reaping world. If you do this, you get that. And a lot of times, we do this, and we get that, and then we say, how come I got that? What happened in my heart, I devoted myself to the wrong thing. You see this all through scripture. This is where, honestly, this is a thing, maybe I am messed up, but I kind of like this about scripture because it shows me that it's real life. Like You read through scripture, you're going to see guys who were devoted to God and things were good and they stepped out from being devoted to God and they lied about stuff and then pain and punishment came down on them. Uh, Not even God's like angry judgment, just reality of natural consequences to your choices. You'll see people who were loving their wives and loving their family and having a great time and they step outside of that and they go and do something crazy and something foolish and something sinful and there's all sorts of dysfunction. Again, not just the world around them, but on the inside and in our, our world, in our humanity, we're broken people. And because we're broken, we can be devoted to the wrong things. And you saw that all through scripture. You also see it in Jesus' life as he's walked around, as he is coming to teach about being devoted to the one true God, as he's teaching about how life works best. He, he constantly is showing them, like, be devoted to God because that's going to work out best for you. But also there's a group of people, the religious leaders in Jesus' time, that they ended up being devoted to, honestly, to all sorts of different things. Some of it was political power, some of it was personal power, some of it was control, and because they were devoted to the wrong things, they actually started treating people in a wrong way. You see this pattern of happening, honestly, almost regularly, and I would even say, we still see that pattern today a little bit, don't we? Like, it can be really easy to point at other religious people, but like, how about, like, I look to myself. When I'm devoted to the wrong things, when I turn my heart away from God, I can be really messed up. Anybody there with me? This is where you look through Scripture, you see this, and we're going to look at one story in particular that kind of shows as an illustration. It's a true story, but I want to use it to help us see why it's important to be devoted to the things that God has for us. This is John's account of Jesus' life. If you look at your New Testament, the second part of your Bible, uh, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are four guys who wrote an account of Jesus' life. If you have a Bible, definitely open it up. Read this for yourself so that way you can check it out. You can understand what's going on. Uh, We're going to read this story. There's also passages of this story that I took out. Do for the sake of time, but you should read them so you get a full understanding on. This This is going to be John chapter 9. This is where it starts with Jesus interacting with this guy. It's actually a blind guy that he's going to heal. We'll get to that in a minute, but this is how it starts. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, which Rabbi simply means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, what we got to do for just a second is this is the beginning of a chapter, and and just so you know, the chapters and verses, the numbers in your Bible weren't put there originally. We put them there so we could reference it much easier, okay? So uh, sometimes we will see verses and chapters that like, why are those there? That's why they're there, so we can reference it, so we can all find this spot real quickly, and we wouldn't have to wait like five minutes to figure out, go to page whatever in your Bible, and everyone has different page numbers, right? But we want to look at the chapter that happened right before this. People believe this happened immediately before chapter 9. Chapter 8, what Jesus did is he is Interacted with the religious leaders and calls himself God, which is like a big deal. Like for us in our culture, we're like yeah, of course Jesus called himself God, right? Even if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, even if you're like I don't really agree with the Christian faith, like you understand Jesus did that. But for them, that was huge, and Jesus calling himself God was a huge thing for the culture. So what the religious leaders did is they actually began to find large rocks, large stones, and they wanted to throw them at Jesus. They tried to stone him to death. They're trying to kill him, and Jesus and his followers get through the crowd, and they kind of run for their life. So as they're running for their life, I don't know how long it takes for you to slow down from running for your life to see a blind guy on the side of the road. But as they're running for their life, they slow down enough, and they see this dude. And Jesus says uh, to them, like he's kind of like, "Hey," kind of sees him, and then his followers ask the question, which is a question we ask all the time, isn't it? We don't ask about him though; we ask about ourselves. When a difficult thing happens in life, you begin asking, whose fault is that? Like, Jesus, who sinned? And even for some of us, we were brought up in a culture that said, God is going to withhold his love from you if you sin. So if things are going badly, you need to have a grocery list and think through any offense you could have ever brought up against God, and you need to get it right. And God is gonna withhold His favor, withhold His, withhold His love, withhold His grace from you until you can do that. And bad things happen in your life. Like that's God judging you for your sin. But that's not the gospel. That's not the truth. That's not the grace of God. See, the thing we've got to understand about God, about his saving us, is when he saved us, it is an eternal salvation. Jesus gave us eternal life, meaning no beginning, no end. God is outside of time. He's not confined to time. He can see today, but he does not have to live in today. So when he saved us, he already knew all the bad things we ever did. He already knew all the bad things we were ever going to do. So what am I confessing to him that he's holding over my head? And truly, confession is a lot more about me recognizing this is wrong, me receiving help and healing, than it is about God restoring his favor to me. And what happens in life also is, as we go through life, we have difficulties come in. We ask, whose fault is that? And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but the thing you've got to hear is, it's not your fault, or it might not be your fault. There's some of us, like, let's be real, you did some stupid things and you kind of had to bear the consequences of that choice, right? Like, you did something, and whether it was a legal thing, whether it was a relational thing, whether it was a work thing, like, you'd made a choice, and you can tie it right back to, this is a choice I made which had this consequence. I don't like the consequence, but I see I made the choice. Others of us, there's things like this dude being born blind... Like, for real, like, how merciless is that to look at a dude begging for money on the side of the street and go, "Jesus, whose fault is it? Is it this dude's fault that he's blind? Can you imagine being this guy's parents? This guy's mom walking through the marketplace trying to get food, knowing everyone's looking at her in condemnation, thinking you must have done something wrong that your kid can't see. And this is the system that they were brought up, and this is the system. Like the disciples, Jesus' closest friends, are not trying to be mean asking this. This is just their regular, common knowledge. Like someone messed up for this to happen, and there are things in our lives that honestly we messed up, and they happen. Y'all have ever had those times in your life? But there's also things in your life where you go, man, I don't know what I did wrong, but something bad happened. And what I want to tell you is, it, it's not your fault. For some of you, like you need to hear me, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Stop thinking God is judging you because he's angry at you. And rest in the fact that God got so much love for you. And you see that in what Jesus says, very next thing. Verse 3, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened, this happened, him being blind, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Like, this dude being blind from birth was set up, set in place so that I could come right here, right now, and do something miraculous so that God could be glorified. Now, something we got to remember, too, even as we go through life, is there's a difference between God's wrath and judgment and natural consequences. Okay, God's wrath and judgment is God judging you because of something. Natural consequences are just the way God set up the world to work, right? If I put my hand on a hot stove, I'm going to get burned, right? Like, it's not because God's mad at me, because the stove is hot. If I jump off a building and gravity pulls me to the ground and I hit the ground and I hurt myself, that's not God judging me. It's just a natural consequence. And for some of us, again, we make choices that have natural consequences, and we think it's God's wrath and God's judgment on us. And I say, I don't think it's God's wrath or God's judgment. You even look at the early church. As You look at church history. The early church went through tremendous persecution where people were destroying them. Actually, we still have church in the world that's going through tremendous persecution where people are dying for their faith. That's not God's wrath. And as hard as it is, that's the natural consequence of them having faith in Jesus that in their country, a natural consequence is you are an outcast, you are punished, you are imprisoned, you are even put to death. And we're gonna look at this in a minute, but why would God have that happen? I don't know. But, but the truth is that God's wrath is something different than just natural consequences. And Jesus is saying, this pain this guy's going through is not God's wrath. Because that's what all the disciples believed. This is actually a consequence of living in a broken world. Every single one of us were broken. Broken physically, broken emotionally, broken mentally, and we need healing. And this is where Jesus came to heal us. But also, the reality too is your pain, the pain that you're going through, like sometimes what we do with our pain is we give so much credit to the enemy. We give so much credit to the darkness where we say, hey, whatever I'm going through, it must be darkness. It must be difficult. It must be Satan coming up against me, which even when we talk about Satan, don't think the dude with horns and a tail and a pitchfork, that's some cartoon. Like that's not really Satan. And we think it's the enemy, but we also have to remember that your pain is producing something in you. Like, I don't know what it is, but we have to declare that our pain is not going to be the final word over us. We gotta reclaim our pain. And also, remember that our pain does not have to be a platform for the enemy's power. We don't have to hold up how powerful our enemy is because of our pain. What we can do is we can reclaim that pain and say, I don't know what this is doing, but this is doing something in me. I saw this on display this past Tuesday night. We had our Grove Gathering, which is where we have our young adult ministry come once a month. We meet the second Tuesday of the month. And this past Tuesday, we had uh, three couples come in and talk to us and share. The topic of discussion was, what's one thing you wish you knew about relationships in your 20s? Because we recognize you learn from your own experiences. That makes you smart. When you learn from the experiences of others, that makes you wise. So we brought in three couples, some in their 40s, some in their We'll just say everyone's in their 40s. so I don't want to offend anybody, okay? They they're over 30, okay? And they came in, and it was remarkable. Every single couple talked about a dysfunction. We had people talk about abandonment. We had people talk about how they went to a, a party scene, a rave scene, to find fulfillment, drugs, alcohol. There was one couple that said, like, they used to get blackout drunk and forget not just hours but days at a time. Right, other people talked about how they went through, they were a military family, they moved all over the place and they had to figure out how they could navigate life with each other to help each other but also recognizing Jesus is the rock and every single couple that talked they didn't just talk about their pain as his dominating thing but said, no, my pain dominated me for a time and then Jesus dominated my pain. And now I want to point everybody else to Jesus because he is powerful enough. He is great enough. We even told the young adults, we were real honest with them and said, hey, you're not special. Don't think alcohol is going to solve your problems. Don't think sex is going to solve your problems. Don't think all these things that you're running to, that you're hoping is going to fix you, don't think that's going to fix you. Instead, Jesus is the only thing that can fix you and change you because he's the only thing powerful enough. This is where we as a gathering, we together can reclaim our pain and recognize the enemy doesn't have the final say. It's doing something. I can tell you the truth. I don't know what it's doing. There's been seasons of life for us, my wife and I. We've walked through personally. By myself, I've walked through. Friends of ours have walked through. They say, "Well, it's doing something." I don't know what it's doing, and that's not the moment to sprinkle a little bit of Christian verbiage on there and give them a Bible verse and say, "Hey, it's doing something." You should just have blind faith. No, that's just, that's the time to come around of them and say, "I love you. Let me give you a hug." This is why community groups are incredibly important. This is why we're, we're looking to launch seven more groups in the next 30 days because we believe community is so important because those are the people that are able to walk through you, walk with you through life and not tell you everything's going to be okay. Not quote you a Bible verse, but they bring you a plate of food and they say, I know this is not okay and I'm sorry it's not okay. How can I help? And some of you, you would love to be in that type of community. And the way we want to make it simple for you to build those relationships is through community groups. And that's why you got to get in a group. But also that's why you got to be leading a group for some of you. Like I said, we're looking for seven more groups. I mean, we need seven more individuals or couples to lead groups. It's time to step up for some of you. You might say, I'm not sure if I can do it. Trust me, you talk with me. Let's see. We'll have a conversation. You probably can do it that might be the area you need to step out and be a little bit uncomfortable. So after Jesus talks to them and he says, hey, this wasn't his fault, it wasn't his parents' fault, this is what he does, this is so interesting. I wouldn't prescribe this to anybody. He says, after saying this, he spit in the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, could we have real talk for a second? Like, how much spit does it take to make that much mud? Right, like, we don't like spit. That's why no one sits in the front row, right? Like we don't want to be, cause and this is where Jesus, like we get this picture of Jesus, and like let's just own this for a second. Like Jesus does not look like me, or I do not look like Jesus. Okay, he did not have long straight hair and a beard with light skin and blue eyes. Send me all pictures of Jesus looks just like me. We had this bed and breakfast the other month, and I was like, yo, it really. I don't, I don't always see it, but like I see this picture, this old picture of Jesus. I was like, I can see it now. <laughs> but here's the deal, though. Like, legitimately, look at what Jesus looked like. He was darker skin, shorter hair, curly, tight hair, right? But this is the deal. This is where we have to keep Jesus a real person. He didn't just float around sprinkling heaven crystals on people, healing people. The dude was running for his life, sees this blind dude, and for whatever reason, is like, okay, I'm going to spit and make some mud. I'm going to put it on his eyes. And then what does he say? tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. An important thing to note, Jesus had the power to heal him. I believe he healed him in that moment. The man needed to respond in faith. His faith walking to the pool. The water of the pool did not heal him. Let's keep that clear. Jesus healed him, not the faith, but he had to act in faith. For some of you, you've understood the message of Jesus. You've understood the message of Scripture, no matter what it is. Maybe it's the fact that you need Jesus. You've understood it. Maybe it's the fact that you need to do things in your life. Maybe it's with your finances, with sex, with relationships, with your marriage, whatever. It is. You've heard the message and you've understood it, but you've never acted on it. And then you hit difficult times you hit painful times and you go, man, my faith is so weak. Can I tell you, it, it's weak because you're not acting on it? You're not strengthening it. I'm not saying that because I'm trying to be mean. I'm saying it I want to help you. My hope for you is, is today and anytime you're, you're hearing from God, whether it's you're reading on your own, you're in a, a context like this, you're listening to something online, is that you would do something. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer because if you're only hearing and not doing, you're deceiving yourself. So the dude goes and he washes off in this pool and then he can see and then he goes home seeing and his neighbors see him and they say, man, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Like, isn't that him? Like, that looks a lot like him. And some of them claimed he was and others said, no, it only looks like them. Then they say, how then were your eyes opened? They're asking him, they got to figure this out. And he just replies, "Uh, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Now, this is the time in the story where everybody should be, like, high-fiving each other and celebrating and saying, oh, my goodness, this is a miracle. Wow, we got to find this Jesus guy. Like, wow, God is awesome. That's not what happened. Even, like, like, even if they didn't really agree with Jesus, they should have been excited because they didn't have to take care of this guy anymore. So he's like begging on the side of the road. That means he's kind of the community's responsibility to care for him. He's healed now. He doesn't have to beg. Now he can get a job, right? Like he can contribute to society. And instead, they don't celebrate. They interrogate. They bring him in and say, "Hey, come in." They bring him to the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders, and they got to figure out how did this happen. We really got to figure out how this happened. You see this a little bit further along. It says, after saying a little bit further along in verse thirteen, they brought him. The Pharisees brought were brought to him. On the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is a day of rest that God instituted, again, the way life will work best. Some of you work seven days a week. I've had seasons in my life where I worked seven days a week. It is for a season. It was for a specific time. I had a specific obtainable goal. That's what I'm working towards. I don't work seven days a week anymore because I need to rest. Some of y'all need to rest. That's actually an act of worship. You can get down on that kind of worship. You need to rest. If you're not sure if you need to rest, just ask someone who loves you. Ask someone you claim to love. And they'll tell you, yeah, you need to take a day off. You need to rest. This is the act of worship and reliance on God. He said, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said, I put, he put mud on my eyes, he replied, and I washed them, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Like the Sabbath is a day of rest, and Jesus healing this guy obviously was not keeping the Sabbath. Therefore, he cannot be of God because God told us to keep the Sabbath. And if you're going against what God's told us, then you're not of God. But actually, if you read this passage, and this is where some of you you need to read and check this out, some of the Pharisees argued the opposite and said, this is powerful, this is a miracle, this guy has to be of God. But in this moment, it reveals what the Pharisees were devoted to. The Pharisees were devoted to the law. They were devoted to the law because, let's be honest, they could keep the law that they created for themselves. See, God gave them the original law, and then the Pharisees added a whole bunch of stuff to it. Right? Like, we do the same thing all the time. Let's not pretend like they're more worse than we are, right? We add stuff to life, and, and what happens is then I can keep the law that I have created for myself, and then I can look down on anyone who breaks the law that I've created. And I believe the Pharisees were devoted to the law because it gave them authority, it gave them control, it gave them power. Because you better not act up. Because we're watching you, and we have discipline for those who act out against us as a religious establishment, as the authority, as God's representatives on the earth. Some of us, we've walked through a season of life in a, in a gathering of believers like that where you have someone who's a point person and they're God's anointed one and whatever they say goes. Like I tell you, when, when you have someone that where anything they say goes and they're the ultimate authority, I would run away from that. Because it's probably going to end in some kind of dysfunction because power corrupts, right? And absolute power corrupts absolutely, Right? Like this is where the Pharisees, I think they got corrupted because they were devoted to the law. The interesting thing is the same God who gave them the law to have a Sabbath also gave them a law that said care for the poor. Care for the people who need help. And they weren't so concerned about caring for the blind dude, but they were all about keeping that Sabbath. Because again, they could control that. And they put this guy on trial, and they, they go and they ask him. And this is where, for some of us, we got to recognize this. Like, they're doing what we do, right? They keep asking, how did you receive sight? How did this miracle happen? Four times in this passage, it asks, how? They never ask, who did this? And for some of you, you're investigating faith. You're trying to figure things out, and you keep seeing things in Scripture. You're saying, how is that even possible? I don't know if I can believe this. Like, how did that happen? How did, how did the world get created? I need to have all these how questions answered first. Can I tell you the truth is, I think you've got to answer the who question first. Who is Jesus? Because if you can put Jesus on trial and you can see who Jesus is, I think the rest of it makes sense. It's interesting, Jesus healing the blind man. This is actually something that this guy Isaiah, who was a prophet, he was God's spokesman hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked around the earth. The spokesman of God, he declared that when the Messiah comes, when the promised one comes, he will heal the blind. He will restore the sight of the blind. See, all those scriptures about Jesus, not just the four books we have, not just the four letters we have that talk about his life. And that's why I trust all the scripture, because Jesus validated his claim as God when he rose from the dead. So that validates what Isaiah said about him. It also validates uh, what Abraham or Moses, when they wrote in Genesis about God creating the earth. And from the very beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 3, humanity turns away from God, rebels against God. And we all choose to do things our own way. And if you're not sure about it, just have a few kids. They will choose to do things their own way and you will see, yes, they are a broken people. They need God in their life. That's why, honestly, some of you, let's be real, that's why some of you came back to church because your kids were broken and they needed Jesus. You just forgot you needed Jesus too. But here's the deal. Back in Genesis 3, when humanity rebels and turns away from God and everything is fractured, everything's broken, God promised one day I will send a Messiah. One day I'm going to send someone to restore everything back to the way it's supposed to be. One day I'm going to send someone to reconcile all of humanity, my beautiful creation, the people I put my image on, back to me on nothing they could do and everything he could do. There's going to be opposition, but he will come out victorious over death and the grave and any enemy he has, and he will come as the Messiah and everyone in scripture is pointing to the Messiah and Jesus is showing up, healing this blind dude saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one. That's why this miracle of restoring people's sight, of helping blind people see, is the miracle that's recorded more than any other miracle Jesus performed. But the religious leaders missed it. Because they wanted Jesus to come how they wanted him to come. They wanted the Messiah to be like them. To affirm their own values. To affirm the things that they're devoted to. And we do the same thing all the time, don't we? Like we want whatever, again, I mean, it's it's anything we look in life. Like we want Jesus to affirm us and to support us and our cause and our side of the thing and everything and anything. And instead of saying, like, let me just go and like be on Jesus' side with stuff. So what happens in this passage is actually uh, they go and they keep putting this man on trial. They actually bring in his parents because they're like, we think you're lying. We don't know if you're credible. Let's bring in your parents. So you go down a little bit further to verse 20. And this is what his parents say. We know he's our son, his parents answered. And we know that he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Now this is his parents straight up throwing the dude under the bus. We don't want to misspeak here and get in trouble, so let's let him talk. Because you see this in verse 22, he says his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. The leaders had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Again, you see the religious leaders, the Pharisees, having a tighter grip on the things they can control. Instead of them investigating if Jesus could be the Messiah, they already decided anyone who says Jesus is the Messiah, anyone who speaks out against what we're about, we're just going to put out of the synagogue. Now, synagogue was like their common place of worship, of understanding scriptures, but it wasn't like uh, in our culture here, we have churches and there's churches everywhere and anywhere. Like, you couldn't just go and like synagogue hop and like go from one synagogue to the other. And I don't like that music anymore or that rabbi says and I don't like. I'm gonna go to this one down the street. Like, it was like the epicenter of the community. It was honestly like a huge, a huge deal for these people to be excommunicated, be pushed away from that. In some ways, they were fearing for their lives. Not that they would have been killed to be excommunicated, but because everything they value, everything that they were devoted to, went back to the synagogue. So the Pharisees are holding the one powerful thing they have over everybody and saying, if you speak out that Jesus is Messiah, you're cut out from us. Now to be clear too, if you look through scripture, there are passages of scripture that talk about excommunication, which sounds like a really harsh word. It'd be a breaking of fellowship. Let's put it that way. It sounds nicer, right? Where people, you act in such a way where a gatherer of believers goes, like, you're you're being divisive. You're being destructive. You're acting in a dysfunctional way. But here's the deal. It is always to help the people first. It's never to silence people. It's always a process. And Even as you read through scripture, you can see there's a clear process on how you should handle those things. It's never used in a way to bully or intimidate people. Because can truth still be truth to bully and intimidate people? Yes, but I think you've distorted it by bullying people with it. Because you're using truth that benefits you. You're not using all of truth. And Jesus came as all truth and all grace. He wasn't radical truth. He wasn't radical grace. He was all truth and all grace. We can see the incredible grace Jesus has by how he interacts with this guy. See, because the guy, if you read through the story, he goes on to, uh, with his interrogation by the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, he's proclaiming, yes, Jesus is a prophet. Yes, Jesus is God. Jesus has the power. Like, he's giving all glory, all respect, all praise back to Jesus. And they don't like that, so they kick him out. The dude went from being an outcast because he couldn't contribute to society and he was blind, something he could not help and he could not change, to choosing to be an outcast because Jesus changed him. And choosing that, it is better to give honor to Jesus than to give honor to these fools and be part of their, their broken system. I'm going to go find Jesus. And he leaves. And what happens, you see in this next passage, this is where you see the beauty of Jesus on display, the grace of Jesus. It says that Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and he went And when he did, he found him. Let's not just skip over that real quick. Like, this dude got excommunicated. This dude gets kicked out of the religious establishment. He is alone. Even his parents, like this, even some some instances, what what they do is they would be wearing clothes to signify that this is a huge thing. They're mourning over theirs. They're speaking curses over somebody. Like, they are cut out. This is not just like a thing you can slide out the back door and no one's going to know. This dude's walking on the street, and Jesus went and found him because he loved this guy. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man simply is a title for the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus. man said, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. Now, the reality is, and this is something that's so crazy to me, is this dude gave up everything before he totally understood who Jesus was. Like for some of us, we're trying to figure out so much about Jesus before we're willing to give up anything. And I totally get it, and the struggle is legitimate, and the struggle is real. But this is the guy who goes, man, I was blind, and now I see. I don't have all my theological questions answered. I don't understand everything about what happened here or there or why my life was so difficult. Why was I born blind? He didn't care so much of why he was blind. He cared so much of who saved me, who healed me. Yeah, I don't understand everything, but I do know I was blind, and now I see. And some of you, that's your story. Your life was broken. Your life was dysfunctional. Even one person shared on Tuesday night with our Grove gathering. They said they were at a rave party and they were going in, and this lady handed her a note that said, Take off your blindfold. And she said, In that moment, I knew I was walking around with a spiritual blindfold on me where I could not see things as they truly were. I need to take off that blindfold. And this guy received so much from Jesus that he in turn was devoted to Jesus because Jesus was devoted to saving and healing him. The things that we're devoted to will have a profound impact on our lives. So my question for you as we begin to close is who or what are you devoted to? Like what are the things in your life that you're working so hard for? They are having an impact on you. They are doing something in your life. And for some of us, it's easy, and this is church, so we want to say Jesus. want to say God. right? Those are the easy answers. You learn that when you're a kid, or if you have kids, you're trying to figure out what do you talk about today at CC Kids, and they're coming out so you say, do you talk about God? Talk about Jesus? You ask any group of kids a question in church, so the first answer is Jesus. Jesus, God, the Bible. But let's be real, because we're not children in here. Like, who or what are you devoted to? Like, like legitimately, really, really think about that. Because it shows up in how you treat people around us. And for us to claim that we're devoted to Jesus, it requires that we have proof. And the proof that of my devotion to Christ is how I love the people that he was devoted to save. It's not what I do early in the morning on my couch with my Bible. It's not what I'm doing uh, throughout the day as I'm trying to listen to worship. Those are all incredible things. You should totally do all those things. Those are things that can help you say thank you to God and say, wow, God, you're so good. They can turn your heart to God. But the proof of your devotion is not how you respond to God. It's how you respond to people around you. Because if you look at the religious leaders, they would claim they're devoted to God. And they could probably gather a room full of people to show it. This is how devoted I am. I pray this much and I give this much. I do all these things. But what about caring for people? Well, that's not so high my priority. I can't tell you the truth. Then you're not devoted to the true God. Because devotion to God shows up in how I love and treat people that he was devoted to save. So again, the question is, what are you devoted to? Who are you devoted to? This is one thing that's incredible. All all over our gathering, we have people who are devoted to people because they are devoted to Christ. Right now, we have uh, people over, the CC kids, who are loving on children, and they're not babysitting. It's not our children. It's not our child care. It is children's ministry. I told you this story earlier about the child who said, my mom loves me, Jesus loves me more. These people get to sit down in circles with children every single week, not because it's convenient. Not because it's easy. Honestly, not even because it's fun all the time. Because there's people, man. you talk to some of these veterans out there, they're like, man, I got some stories about kids' ministry, times it was not fun. But they love those kids because... They love Jesus because Jesus has loved them. This is what Scripture says, First John. This is John, the same guy who wrote the passage we were looking at. He wrote this later in his life. He says, this is love. Not that we love God. But he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which is just a big way of saying payment. He redeemed you with his life. Because he redeemed me with his life, I will give my life to sharing his message with other people. This is why at Velocity we have uh, adult leaders coming in every single week, giving up their Wednesday night, not because it's easy but because it's important and it makes a difference. And we have students coming in. They had a student come in recently who talked to their small group leader. And we have small group-based ministry all throughout our next gen because we want these kids to have relationships with people that will speak life into them that you cannot get in a large setting. You only get this in a small group setting where we have students coming in. The student came in and told our small group leader, I'm just struggling with a lot of depression right now. Is it okay if we just sit? We don't have to play games or do anything. If we just sit? Man, does that break your heart? Like this is why we have people who are devoted to Christ showing that devotion in their community groups, where they're gathering people in their homes, and they're open and, open and real and honest about life and struggles, and they're welcoming people into community, saying, come be with us. We're all broken together. We don't have all the answers. We believe Jesus is the answer. Help us build this community where we can rely on each other and walk towards Jesus together and help each other. This is why we have our first impressions team, people who are not just parking cars. You're not just holding doors. You're not just helping people find a seat. You are showing people that this is a safe place for everybody. We talk about how this church needs to be, we want it to be, we desire it to be a, the safest place for anyone struggling with anything. This is a place where we tear away every unnecessary barrier. Y'all say every barrier. Every barrier. Y'all say it like you mean that every, every barrier. Every person is required to tear down every barrier. You get to be part of that. This is why our worship team comes in and they give up their Tuesday or their Thursday night and they practice for hours and they get here early. Not because it's easy or convenient or because they get to be up on stage. If you think that, you don't know anyone on our worship team. They come in because they are devoted, they are committed, they are enthusiastic. Everyone serves as a bridge builder. We call them bridge builders because they are building a bridge for people to connect with Jesus. They are enthusiastic about it because God was first enthusiastic about saving them. You read through scripture, John said this earlier in his letter that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God was active in redeeming and in saving you, and we, in turn, get to be active in sharing that message with other people. It's not something we have to do. We're not gonna twist your arm to serve. I wanna tell you, if you're devoted to Jesus, it needs to show up somewhere in your life in how you treat people. Because the truth is, there's people all around you that are begging, just like this guy was begging on the side of the road. This guy is holding out his cup or his hands asking for money, asking for someone to provide for him because he could not provide for himself because his eyes could not work, he could not function and operate in society. And there's people all around us, while they are not blind physically, spiritually they are blind and they are begging for things. Some of us in this room, some of us online listening to this podcast later, you are begging for something. You're begging for acceptance. Some of you are begging for approval. Some of you are begging through how you interact with your use and abuse of substances and food. Some of us, like we are begging for purpose and value and significance. And we want to know that we matter. And we're begging and we're going to all sorts of other places not knowing we're blind and we can't fix ourselves. And it's only when Jesus comes that Jesus can come and he can heal us of the blindness of our souls. This is why he came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to heal healthy people. He came to heal broken people of which I was one. This is where we as a gatherer, we have to be devoted to Jesus because he's everything to us. Again, you get around some people, and this is where you get into community, you start having conversations with people, and this is not like cheesy Christianity where Jesus is just great all day, every day. This is like real life. In the darkest moments of my life, I didn't know what was up or down. I begged in my bedroom that God, if you're real, show yourself to me, and he showed himself to me. That's why I serve Jesus. Not because it's easy or convenient, and as we are devoted to Christ, we have to be devoted to people he was devoted to save. So my question for you as we close is, what are you devoted to? How does it show up in your life? But also, my question for you is, like what are you begging for? For so many of us, we're begging for something, and we're asking simply to fill our cup when God's saying, I want to fill your life with my life. I want to give you way more than you've ever would ask or imagine and God is able and we turn and trust Jesus this is we talked about this the guy acted in faith he went and washed the water did not heal him Jesus healed him in the same way at the end of the service a lot of times we'll have you raise your hand if you want to turn and trust Jesus raising your hand doesn't save you talking to someone doesn't save you Jesus saves you through your faith through your trust in him simply saying I am not okay I am broken, Jesus came to save broken people. Jesus, I trust that through your death and resurrection, you have saved me. You reconcile, you bring me back to God and I can share life with you right now and also in eternity. Would you all pray with me? If you could bow your heads and close your eyes, just as a respect for people around you. I wanna ask a question and then we're we're going to pray. I want to ask two questions. First question would be, how many of you in the house today would recognize, to one degree or another, that you, as you go through life, are begging for something? You're begging for something. You can raise your hand, you put your hand up and right back down. I see your hands up here in the front, I see them over here in the front, over here on the far side, in the back. Anyone else, you put your hand up and right back down. You say, I am begging for something. Even if you say, I already have a relationship with Jesus, I'm still begging for something. I tell you really, really good news is that Jesus wants to fulfill you. Jesus wants to give you life to the full. You don't have to beg anymore. Also, some of you would say, I'm here and you're talking about turning and trusting Jesus. I don't know that I've ever turned and trusted Jesus. I tell you real quickly, I'll summarize, and not that our faith is simple, but just to help you kind of have some words to go around it. It's simply put that Jesus is God, that he has the power and desire to save you, and you trust in him saving you and not yourself. If you're here in the house today and you're saying, Justin, I wanna turn and trust Jesus for the first time, would you raise your hand up? You can put your hand up high. You can put it back down right after. You can put your hand up. We just wanna recognize, I see your hand over here on the side. You can put your hand up and right back down. Anyone else here today, you can put your hand up and down. We just wanna recognize what God is doing, and sincerely, we would love to talk with you We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to help you understand what it means to continue to trust Jesus every day. I want to pray for you. God, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for the lives are being changed. God, thank you for giving us everything we need. For the people begging in the house, God, the people who are asking for things, we just want to uh, stand with them, God, walk through life with them and help them see that you can satisfy them. God, you want to give them even more than they're asking for. And God, also for the the individuals, God, who are turning and trusting you, we thank you for that life change. God, we ask that they would have courage to continue to turn and trust you just as this blind man continued trusting you. God, that we could be a community to celebrate with them and come around them and walk through life. And God, I pray that we would be a community that's known for our devotion to you and how we treat and love people. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.